0: Jewish Audio on Rambam, Mishne Torah. Hilchai's geneva, the laws of theft. And it's important for us to know that there is geneva, which means stealing, as we learned earlier, underhandedly, surreptitiously, sneaking in and stealing something. And then there is gazela, which is robbing. That's with a gun. Stick it up. This is geneva, the laws of theft. Now, before we begin chapter 4, I would like to share a small section from the Chumash, without which it will be difficult to understand chapter 4. So, I read to you from Shemos. Perik Chabez, Chabet. Exodus 22, 6. ish if a man will give his friend kesef, money, or or utensils, lishmor to watch, to guard. He'll say, listen, keep an eye on my laptop. Vigunav mi beso ish, and that item will be stolen from the Bailey from the watchman's house. It happens. What happens in Yemotzei Haganov if the thief will be found? Yishalim Shnoim, he has to pay not one laptop, but two laptops. he has to pay double. Now you understand why I'm reading this now. This is what we're learning about stealing and paying double. But in this case, the object was given to someone to guard, to watch. What if the guy says it was stolen, it was stolen, it was stolen? Nobody found the thief. There was nothing uh, posted on Facebook. You don't think Moses had Facebook? So the owner of the household, which is described as the watchman, has to approach Elohim, literally means God, figuratively, the court. He goes to court, the watchman goes to court, and he has to take an oath. What does the oath say? In Yodo, he has to swear that he didn't extend his hand and take that laptop. Maybe he's the thief. What does this apply to? This is the final verse I will read. i Bar Pesha. Anything that he will be li- liable, guilty of lying about. I'll show it could be an ox. i could be a donkey. I'll it could be a sheep. I'll it could be a designer garment from Nordstroms, Bloomingdale's. Mervin Zalavashalom. I'll call Abedo. Any lost object. Now here we suddenly have lost object. Asher Yeymar, where he will say Ki This is it. To Elakim Yovid Vashnei, to the court. Both come, the word of both of them comes, the one whom the court finds culpable, shall pay double to the other. This is the law of a watchman, a bailey, a guard, watching someone's item. The guy comes to collect the item. He says, I'm here for my laptop. Where is it? He says, oh, you're not going to believe it. It was stolen. But they don't hear of any thieves in the neighborhood. The neighborhood watch doesn't report anything. So the guy, the watchman, the bailey, has to take an oath, and he has to say, I didn't do it. If they find the thief, he has to pay double. If the watchman is the thief, he has to pay double. These are the laws we're going to learn about in this chapter. Aleph 1, in chapter 4, What if the guy who's in charge of guarding the other guy's object, whom we call the, the Bailey, the Shomer the guy who's doing the other guy a favor, and he's watching his object, he says, I'm sorry, you're looking for your laptop, you're looking for your money, you're looking for your sheep, your bull. I don't know, it was stolen. If he swore, what could he swear? He can't swear it was stolen, because he doesn't really know. He can swear that he didn't do it. And then, following that oath, witnesses come along, and they testify, the witnesses testify, this guy is a liar. His oath was a false oath. The witnesses come and say, Liar, liar, your pants are on fire. Did they say that when you were a kid? They shall be caught in In fact, the witnesses testify that this object is in his safe. It's just right there. It's in his office. So this watchman, this guard, this bailey, this shomer, turns out to be a dana, a thief. He himself has to pay double. because the guard, the watchman, the shomer becomes a thief. himself is a thief. So that's the introduction to this section. If the watchman, the guard, the bailey, the shomer becomes, is, is found to be a thief, how? Because he took an oath. And we, t- we are told in the commentaries that until he takes that oath, the whole thing doesn't count. Why? Because until he takes the oath, when the guy says, I want my laptop, where's my laptop? And he says, It's coming, it's tomorrow, it's yesterday, it's going, it's now, I don't know. Huh? He's just procrastinating because maybe he doesn't know where it is. He's not really considered a thief until he takes that oath. Now, the Intobach, what if he slaughtered the animal? What if it was not a laptop, but it was a sheep? And he slaughtered it. Umachar, or he sold it after he took that oath, that he lied in that oath. He took that oath and lied. And then he slaughtered or sold the ox or the sheep not only does he have to pay double he has to pay four times as much not twice as much but four times as much or five times as much as is the halacha now there is another law there is another law that says and we learned it in great detail earlier in the Rambam about the laws of guilt offerings that when somebody swears and then comes and says hey I'm really sorry I lied my conscience doesn't let me sleep at night I swore falsely, he has to bring a guilt offering and he has to pay a fifth penalty to the guy he stole from in this case the ene may be osham he does not bring a guilt offering I'll pay him because witnesses proved him to be a thief. I'll say why? Because this guilt offering, as we learned in great detail, only applies when the guy himself confesses, not when witnesses prove him to be a thief. And because he doesn't bring the guilt offering, they may be chemish, He also doesn't pay the penalty of one fifth. Why? Because paying the penalty for a false oath, along with the guilt offering, is in direct contradiction to paying double. The fifth is never paid in the same scenario as the double pay, because the double is paid when somebody is a thief and he's proven by witnesses to be a thief, and the guilt offering And fifth is paid when somebody takes a false oath and then confesses on his own. So there's a contradiction there, either one or the other. All of the above is, if witnesses came after he took an oath and lied, he took an oath that he said, I didn't do it, and then we know he did it, but if the witnesses came before he took an oath, in that case, he only pays the principal, because again, until he takes the oath, he doesn't really acquire the object as a thief, and maybe he's just buying time. So that's halacha one in this chapter. Halacha two. Now he qualifies it. When does this above, when does above apply? If the oath was taken before he actually took the guy's object and did something with it. This is called. We read this in the Chumash. If he did not extend his hand to that item, meaning the shomer, the watchman, the bailiff, touched the man's item. But if he already, if he already messed with the object, he took the object and he did something with it. Which means, when somebody is watching your object, they're not supposed to take it and, and, and do whatever, I don't know what with. He went and took it and did something with it. That's called shlichus That's called a violation of trust. So he did that. And then he lied, and he says, no, it was stolen. He took an oath, him, And then witnesses came and says, what are you talking about? I know where it is. It's in your third drawer, in your office. In this case, being that he already touched and violated the item before the oath, there is no double payment to be paid. Why? Because being that he already violated the object before the oath, he already acquired it. The commentaries say he's more like a robber and less like a thief, and therefore he doesn't have to pay the double payment. He just has to make restitution. Gimel, along the same lines, Bechain, and so also. You know, when we are yeshiva boys and we study about this law, we learn that a shomer chinom, somebody who watches somebody else's item without getting paid, is potter, is exempt from responsibility when there is va va'aveda. When the item is stolen or lost. Those are the two scenarios where the guy says, listen, I'm not getting paid for watching your object. I'm doing you a favor. What do you want from me? Now, I'm going to push the pause button, and I'm going to tell you, if he was getting paid, then that's what you're getting paid for, to make sure it's not stolen. Put it on your alarm. Higher Brinks security. Brinks? Yeah, brings. Yeah, brings. That's good. dad. brings security. You're being paid for it. Why are you telling me it was stolen? It was lost. I'm paying you. Don't lose it. But when the guy is not getting paid, he's a shomer chinam. Geneva and Aveda, If he says it was stolen or it got lost, that's enough to exempt him from responsibility. So halacha three says. So also, if somebody says Aveda, it got lost. I don't know. It's lost. It be an in something somebody gives him to guard. Vinishba he went and he swore that I didn't do it. That's all he can swear. He can't swear it was lost. He doesn't know if it is lost or isn't. What he knows is that he didn't touch it. And then, after he took an oath, because he said it was lost, and he swore to it, he then goes and says, you know what, maybe it wasn't lost, maybe it was stolen. And he swears, so now he swore twice, something is fishy, The and then witnesses come and prove that it's his, that he has it, that the baili, the guard, the shomer is a thief, he's exempt from paying double. Why? Because from the time he took the first oath, the object is no longer belonging to its original owner. The guard, the watchman, the shomer, acquired it through his oath. And therefore, he's no longer considered a thief, liable to pay double, he's considered a robber. What if somebody says, it was stolen, and here the scenario is, it's with an Aveda. What's an Aveda? It's not that somebody gave somebody his object and says, watch it for me. It's that someone was walking along the street, and he found somebody's object. He finds somebody's sheep. He finds somebody's diamond ring. He says, ooh, Billy, a sheep, a diamond ring. He takes it, goes to his house. Now he has somebody else's object. He's not sure who it belongs to or what, or he does know, he doesn't know. Suddenly, the guy comes knocking on his door, and he says, where's my lost sheep? Where's my diamond ring? Where's my laptop? I heard you found it. The guy said, what? It was stolen. So let's look at the words again. Hatayan, Tanas, Gana, 50. Person who found the object. Argues that it was stolen. Ba'abeda, in a case where he found something. He found a lost object. and then he swore. Yahakach, swore falsely. and then witnesses came and they said, What are you talking about? The object, the diamond ring, is in your drawer. and they witnesses say he lied. He's a thief. Well, he pays double. Why? In the verse that I read as the introduction, one of the expressions in that verse is, as it says, I'll call every lost object. This includes the lost object that he found. The who provided that, that he will argue, that it was stolen by an armed robber. Where he is not responsible, because even a guy who gets paid for watching something is not responsible if a guy comes in, if a bunch of guys come in with guns. I don't have to sacrifice my life for your sheep. They came with guns. Like this comedian says, guns, they don't scare me. Bullets, they terrify me. Came with guns and bullets. So if the guy says robbers came in with weapons, this is out of his control. Well, Portuguese exempt, that was what he said. Why? Because he. When he finds an object, is considered a Shomer Sachar. He's considered like a paid veili. she below but if he says it was just stolen quietly in the night by thieves, to exempt. Because he has to pay. Because when someone finds something, he's considered a Shomer Sachar, and if it is just stolen, he has to pay. Why? Because it's his responsibility to see that it's not stolen. Nobody had guns. Here's the key. These words. Someone who watches an object that he found, is Sachar, who is considered as if he's paid, as will be explained, and in the notes here, he refers us to the laws, which are the next section of laws we're going to learn. Hilchay's is of the laws of items that are robbed and lost and found, which explain that he's granted this status of Shomer Sakhar, of a paid, Bailey, because throughout the time that he's caring for the lost article, he's considered occupied with a mitzvah. Osek the mitzvah, patur mina mitzvah. The law says if you're busy doing one mitzvah, you don't have to do another mitzvah. And therefore, he's not obligated to fulfill several other positive commandments. So, he's considered paid because he's being liberated from doing different mitzvahs. That's the angle he brings down here. And we're going to learn about that. A5. Hey, and what if somebody was given an object to watch and when the guy comes and says no give me back my object he says it was stolen he actually swore and then witnesses came and they said what are you talking about it's in your possession the and then he went again and he went to court and he swore again that it was stolen now the question is how did the court allow him to swear again there is a law that says that if somebody is proven to have given a false oath the court should never allow him to swear because he lost his credibility this guy has no right to swear and to exempt himself from responsibility how does the court allowed him to do it commentaries say because he went to a different court and this was the days before computers, and the court, the second court wasn't aware that this case was dealt with in the first court. The witnesses came again, and they said, you have it. A upon him even if he went to a hundred courts, and he took a hundred oaths, and witnesses came a hundred times, and said, it's in your possession. Every time he swore, denied it, and witnesses proved him lying. He has to pay double each time that happens. So he has to pay a hundred times double. Now, for example, if this happened five times, so he has to pay six times the object. Once the principal plus five times for the oath that was a false oath that the witnesses gave to five different courts. ha can the principle of the object that was given to him to watch. And five more times. Five times the principle, because of the five times double that he has to pay when he swore falsely, five times. Very interesting one. Six, next scenario, he swore that it was stolen. He argued it was stolen. The, the, the guard, the watchman, the Shomer, said it was stolen. And he swore. And then he said it was lost, and he swore. It's stolen, he swore. It's lost, he swore. Witnesses came and they said it was not stolen. But he who over and he confessed and said it was not lost. I have it. Now, if it's because of witnesses, he has to pay double. If it's because of his admission, he doesn't pay double. That's what we learned. The question is here: the witnesses came and said it was stolen. He admitted and said it wasn't lost. Heilom mishalom, tashlomi kapil, al pi and Being that he has to pay double because of the witnesses who came and said, we know you have it. He does not pay a pift. For the last oath, even though he confessed. And when one confesses to an oath, to a false oath, one does have to pay a pip. Then he's obligated to pay double, exempts him from paying the pit, with confession. Because the double takes it out of the realm of confession. Now the plot thickens seven. Somebody hands his ox over to be guarded to two watchmen. He figures it's a tough ox. So he needs many and more to watch his ox. He comes and he says, I'm here for my ox. They say, "Oi, your ox was stolen. It was a terrible night. The And one of them confessed. And he says, I lied. I have your ox in my vacation home in Palm Springs. Ball One guy confessed, and the second guy, witnesses, came and said, You lie. We know you have it. They are both culpable. They're both liable to pay the principal. Because whether witnesses uncovered them or they confessed, principle is principle. The only question is, What about the capital? What about the double? So the double is a doubt. However, if the owner of the object took the double payment from the guy who witnesses uncovered him, and it may the other, we can't force it out of his hand. This is the principle of Hamotzi, Mechaveiro, Olavariah. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. The one who confessed, he pays the fifth. Like any other person who swore a false oath with regard to an object that was given to him to watch, Shehedu, Mechaveiro, they confess on their own. Eight. Now, focus. This one needs a little extra focus. The owner of the object who gave an object to a Shomer, a baby, watchman, to watch. He comes to him later and he says, No, I'm here to collect my tablet. That's not a pill. Then he swore that his laptop, his sheep, was stolen. And then, in fact, the thief was found. Yep. He swore it was stolen, and they found the thief. Moishin Ganov. Famous Moishin thief. They found it. Okay. So now, the this watchman, this showman, this Bailey, goes to the thief, and he says, Hey, the thief, give me back the laptop. The guy says, yes, I stole it. Yes, I stole it. And he confessed. This is good. Now, the big question is, is this watchman, when he's demanding the object from the thief, representing the owner or not? Because the truth is, he should be out of the picture. Because all he needs to say, it was stolen. And if he's telling the truth, then he's out of the picture. Because he swore. The fact that he went to the thief and demanded it, uh, nobody asked him to. Is he representing the owner? But unbeknownst to him, the owner went as well. And went to Moesha the thief and he says, I want this laptop. I want the sheep. Because Moesha said, what? I didn't do nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Like Alfredo would say, nothing, nothing. I don't know nothing. Well, Adem should have witnesses, came and said, ah, this man stole. So now the question is whether the denial after the confession is a denial. Or the confession removes the privilege of bubble that came by the denial the So it says the Rambam, the test is, did the watchman, the guard, the baby, when he took that oath, did he tell the truth? Did he say that it was Nignav stolen? Or did he lie to make it more impressive and he said they came with guns and they robbed me? Because that's a better argument usually, even though he didn't need it. Nifter haganev inakeyphul veidaw selah shamer, being that the guy swore truthfully. Once the thief then confessed to this watchman, then that confession exempted him from having to pay double to the owner. Why? Because the assumption is the watchman represented the owner and the confession took place however, if the Bailey, the Shomer, swore falsely, for example, he swore they came with guns, and it's not true. They just snuck in. and In that case, you can't remove the double from the thief because it's unsure. And if the owner just took the capital and the other, you can't remove it from them. Because whenever there's an uncertainty, you can't remove it. What if the scenario was different? The owner demanded collection from the Shomer, from the guard. And only after that was the thief found. And the owner demanded it from the thief, Right, and he confessed that he stole. Unbeknownst to him, the the guard, the watchman, came and demanded from the thief. The denied it. Two boy agents were gone, witnesses came and said, "We saw it." I In this case, the of the thief does not pay double, because he already confessed. However, if the guard grabbed the double, the other, we can't force it out of him, because we're unsure. because in the Gemara this is listed as an uncertainty. The hadim Whatever applies to double applies to four and five. In and four or five will always kick in if the thief slaughtered or sold nine. I tell you, Now we segue away from this thought process and we go to a new subject. What if somebody, the guard, the watchman, says, your item was stolen. What's unique here? Because the guy who gave him the item to watch was a minor. He was under bar mitzvah. Even though the scenario could be that when he gave it to him, the person who gave it to him was a kid under bar mitzvah. Utsvah, it should go, by the time he came to ask it back, he was already post bar mitzvah. So now he's an adult. Then and the baby, the Shomer, swore falsely. <coughs> and then witnesses came and said, He took it. Of course, he has to make restitution. But there is no double payment here. Why? Because at the time, the owner of the object gave it to him. That owner was a child. And the verse says, Shinamachiyit and Ishif, a man shall give. The fact that a child gives doesn't count. The giving and the demand has to be made by an adult. So, therefore, of course, the item has to be restored. Restitution has to be made, but it can't be kept. Built. What if a guard, a watchman, a baili, a stole something from his own domain? In other words, the object is in his domain. In his domain, he stole it. What's the scenario? For example, there was a flock of sheep that was entrusted to him to watch, and he stole one sheep from that flock. Where is the flock of sheep? In his uh, wilderness area, in his pasture. He went and stole one sheep. Nobody knows anything. Or the cell on the keys. The guy gave him a purse of coins, of gold coins to watch. He took one. like there was a purse of Slayim of valuable coins given to him. And he took one. I think a cell is a silver coin. So now the question is can you steal in your own domain? The object was originally in his domain because he was watching it, and he stole it in his domain. He didn't transfer it from one domain to the other. Yes, all of aidan, if there are witnesses. Let's say he stole it. he has to pay double. Even though, hey, he can argue, I put back the coin. He saw trouble was coming. He returned it to the purse. But he returned the sheep to its flock. His responsibility as a thief continues until he informs the owner, listen, you know, I took your coin, I put it back in the purse, I took your sheep, I put it back with the flock. Why? Because the moment he violated the guy's trust, his position as a watchman came to an end. He violated his position. Therefore, it's as if he returned nothing until he lets the owner know. And the difference is if something happened to it afterwards. I'm not going to sell keys. somebody steals a coin from his friend's purse, a clay or a utensil, maybe based on the guy's house. the baseline money, and then he restores it. if the owner knew that it was stolen, the they didn't know it was restored. A dying guy of still responsible for it. Until the guy counts his money, once he counts his money, he finds it all there. It's fine. What if he counted the money in his purse? or It was complete. it, the guy's exempt. But if the owner didn't know that it was stolen, didn't know it was put back, I don't know nothing. You don't even need counting. Once it was restored, he loses any responsibility. Let's qualify this and say, when does this apply? There's something that's not alive, like a coin out of a purse. It's an inanimate object. But if somebody sells, steals a lamb or sheep from the flock of his friend, the other boy for example, the owners knew about it. The owner did not know he restored it. And then after he restored it, died. Or it was stolen. You know what? The thief is responsible. Because the owner didn't know that he restored it. And it's living. A live object is a different ballgame. But if he counted his sheep and found that all are present and accounted for, but then the thief is exempt because he restored it what if the owner didn't know it was stolen or returned even though they counted the sheep they found that all sheep are present and accounted for and then it got lost says the Rambam I'll show you a new aloha. the sheep is responsible for this object until he informs the owner I want you to know I stole your sheep I had an excursion with it but I restored it I returned it why because the owner now has to keep a special eye on this sheep because the sheep was out there in the world, in the world and the sheep was exposed to new horizons because usually a sheep is a follower. A sheep will stick with all the sheep. Here, yeah, this sheep learned all of a sudden new by- highways and byways and new exciting things, so it's going to wander up. Different than all the other sheep in this block, no. You gave the sheep an education, therefore, the owner of the sheep has to know this sheep needs to be watched, as they say in Israel, spatial. End of chapter four. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchai's Genneva, the laws of theft. Now, we're about to begin chapter five, Pedro Kamishi. A thief will never steal if he can't sell that which he steals because he does it for a living. So he needs what is called in our vernacular offense. He needs someone to make sure that he has a channel to sell his stuff. So therefore, Halacha says, Aleph 1, It is forbidden to purchase a stolen, article, a stolen item, article or item. I combined them as said article. A stolen item or article from a thief. So that if you know something is stolen, you may not purchase it. And there's a lot of people who buy stuff off a truck. It's a problem. Want to buy a watch? The Oven Goggle, who it's a great transgression. Why? Pirated items. Because it strengthens and reinforces the hands of those who sin, who transgress. And the fact that he has an avenue for sale will encourage him to make other thefts. But if he doesn't find a buyer, he's not going to steal. Therefore, Halacha says, Do not purchase merchandise from a thief. Do not purchase stolen merchandise. The regarding this, it says King Solomon says, wisest of all men in Proverbs, a person who shares profits with a thief. How does he share profits? Because he buys it cheap. He hates his own soul. It's not good for the soul to purchase stolen objects. Okay, base. What if somebody steals and he sells an object? And we learned that one of the acts which causes the transfer of an item to the new owner is if the original owners have despaired of its return, given up hope. The original owner said, I'll probably never get my money back, my sheep back, whatever the deal is. So in this case, the owner did not despair of the return, did not give up hope. And then later, Hukar the thief was caught. So we have someone who stole, he sold, the owner never gave up hope, and then the thief was caught. And witnesses came and said, that this item sold by the thief to this, and this person, he stole it in front of us. We testify that it's stolen goods. So now that we know that somebody purchased stolen goods, what's the deal? The deal is that being that the original owner never gave up hope. The object must be returned to its original owner. Yeah, but the problem is the buyer bought it in good faith. You can never buy anything. You need to have an insurance policy every time you buy something. Title insurance. No. The solution Halacha gives is that the original owner buys the object from the buyer. He gives him money. So that if the buyer paid $100 to the thief, the original owner gives the buyer $100. Why is this? It's his object. The answer is. This is a legislation that our sages made in order to keep business going. Because if you could never safely buy anything for fear that someone's going to come and prove it's theirs, then the whole buying and selling, the whole commerce will come to a standstill. No one's going to want to buy anything. Therefore, our sages ordained, you should buy, you should sell without any concern. If somebody comes and says, the object you bought is mine, he pays you for it. But now the original owner is out of money. That's okay. Let the original owner go and adjudicate with the thief. Let him sue the thief. Because the thief is the one that did the damage. The buyer bought in good faith. Which is why our sages ordained that the original owner should purchase the object from the buyer who bought in good faith. That is provided that the thief was not known to be a thief. However, being if he's a famous thief, if he bought something from Al Capone, Al Capone's thrift shop. Here, our sages, did not make this legislation of an ordinance where you have to pay the buyer. The buyer should know, you don't buy from a thief. In this case, when a guy clearly bought from a reputable thief, then what does the original owner have to pay the buyer? The answer is nada, boonished, nothing. Because he should have known better. What does the buyer do? The buyer was maybe stupid, maybe innocent, maybe ignorant. May be culpable. The buyer goes, well, He has to press charges. He has to sue the thief. Hey, you stole, you sold me stolen goods. And he has to force the thief to pay him money, which he lost. In other words, the thief sold him stolen goods. The thief was a reputable, known thief. So the buyer makes the thief give him the money back. That is all, provided, as we said above, that the original owner did not give up hope. But the the original owner did give up hope of ever finding the stolen item. B'en shenis yashu whether he gave up hope and then the thief sold it. after he sold it now the buyer acquires the object because two things happened here and we learned this principle earlier the yish, the owner gave up hope he despaired of ever finding it and also the object changed ownership because it's now in the possession of a buyer it changed domain Yush and Shiner these two components of the original owner giving up hope despairing of ever finding it and the object changing domain combined and it has the one who now possesses the object takes ownership if there's an obligation it becomes a monetary obligation it's to pay money he no longer has to restore he stole an object to the owner he has to restore the money he gives it the value he provided that the buyer bought from a well-known thief then he has to pay money why? because he should have known better or if he did not buy from a well-known thief if he bought just from a person he doesn't give anything it's not an object it's not money why? as we learned earlier because of the ordinance that our sages instituted to keep business going Unless the seller was a well-known thief, but if he wasn't a well-known thief, people need to be able to buy things without suspecting that someone's going to come and take it away from them and not reimburse them. That's called takanat hashuk. The ordinance our sages instituted to keep commerce going, to keep business going. Okay, moving right along. At the time that the buyer enters into litigation with the owner, with the original owner, and the buyer says to the owner, "You have to pay me because I bought it innocently." The question is, okay, he has to pay, but how much? In mean, aid in the What do you mean how much? The price that he paid. What if there are no witnesses to say what he paid? There's no credit card transaction. It's just somebody's word. He says, I paid a lot of money. Hare, Hatagur, then. Hatagur, the tradesman, who is another word for the buyer, Nishba swears, by holding a holy object, such as a Torah or Tzun. He takes an oath, and he says, I bought it for so-and-so dollars, for a hundred dollars. And that oath, which he takes holding a holy object, enables him to take the money back from the original owner, and then the original owner has to deal with the thief now the Rambam says you should know that any such scenario where somebody takes an oath and then collects you should always know that this is a rabbinic type oath and we learned in great detail the laws of oaths earlier we're going to learn in greater detail the laws of business and oaths right now we're learning the laws of theft and oaths and, oaths. and the oath has to be holding a holy object as we will explain in the laws of Toain of different people who present different types of arguments in business when the buyer is litigating with the thief the buyer and the thief are having it out because the buyer says, I paid so much and so much and I want my money back. And he says, Yes, I sold it to you, but for a lot less. The buyer says, I paid $100. The thief says, You paid 50 Who knows? Now, the way the system works, the thief is what is called he is admitting to part of the complaint. You bought it from me, but not for 100 for 50 So therefore, I should give you not 100 but 50 now the rule of thumb is that a a somebody who confesses to a part of the demand, has to take a uh, has to swear, has to take an oath, and then end of uh, end of case. But in this case, the thief cannot take an oath. Why can the thief not take an oath? Because he's a thief. He has no credibility in the courts. instead, the buyer has to swear. Ben nitsar is holding up all the object. now, he can collect. Of course, The thief cannot swear. we suspect, just as he steals and he doesn't lose sleep over stealing, we suspect he swears falsely, and he doesn't lose sleep over swearing falsely. gone now. What if he stole? A thief stole. And then. The stolen article was used as payment for a debt that the thief had. He stole $100, took the $100 and paid the debt. He went to his bank and paid the debt. Or he went to his creditor. What if he stole? He went to the grocery store and paid his bill. He paid that which he owed, a merchant. Or in our world, he paid his credit card bill. In this case, there is no ordinance instituted by our sages that the creditor or the merchant gets to keep the money. Earlier we said that we want the buyer to be able to get reimbursed otherwise business will come to a standstill here we're not that interested in the creditor because he's not a buyer he's a creditor he's a merchant who got his debt paid so he won't get his debt paid in this case the owner original owner has a right to take the stolen item without paying money ah, he used it to pay his debt no so his debt will go back into place it will remain a debt his credit obligation will go back into place it will remain a debt what if the thief what if the thief gave the stolen object as collateral and then took a loan Surety, they should be should not be also all Whether he used it for more than its value, it was a hundred dollar item, and he got a two hundred dollar loan. Hey, the borrowers be domer, or it was a hundred dollar item, and he got a fifty dollar loan. How about all them they sit the mashkin? The owners they give that person who has the collateral. The chayes in base and dinah, they They gave him as much as he gave, and then they sue the thief. Eliyam came, hoiya, I got him before and thus the thief was a well-known thief. Can they should be honor as we explained earlier, Zion seven. Alikei echni, I got him before Somebody purchases merchandise from a non-known thief. A thief who was not known as a thief. From a regular Joe, whether he purchased the value of a hundred dollar object and he paid two hundred, he overpaid. A and the mayor, he got a bargain. He purchased a two hundred dollar object for a hundred. Either way, this is what was paid. According to the takonas hashuk that we learned, he takes the money. The buyer takes the money from the original owner, and then he gives back the stolen object. That make takonas hashuk because of the ordinance invoked by our sages to keep merchandise flowing to make sure As we explained, that's just to reiterate the law. now the plot thickens. What if a creditor was demanding from the thief this $100? Give me the $100, you're me, give me the $100, you're me, give me $100, you're on me. Then he went and stole. The thief is being nuked so much, he went and stole $100. Behavi the Baal Brought to the guy, he says, Here's $100. The guy says, Oh, you're good for your money. All right, can you lend me another $100? Sure. <laughs> he gives him another $100 because he sees he's good for his money. <laughs> In this case, the stolen object goes back to the owner. But what about the guy who had the object and he just got paid back? Now the guy owes you 100 so now he owes you $200. There is a relationship between you of trust. We don't have to put somebody out. So now it's two hundred. You didn't give him the hundred because he brought you an object that was worth a hundred to pay back his previous debt. You would have just said borrow hashem and run as far as you can. But just as you believe the first time around, you believe them the second time around. You'll work it out with him. There's no reason that this innocent guy has to give you money. Test nine. The next scenario: a buyer purchased from a thief who was not known as a thief and paid a hundred dollars. He got a good deal. Now, why do people buy stuff? The seller. He's in business. Buy low, sell high. He sold it to someone else for one twenty, made a good profit, twenty dollars. And then the thief was caught, recognized, identified. So now the guy's a thief. And the buyer, the second buyer is out, 120. The victim, the original owner, takes from the last guy the object, it's his object, and he pays him 120, because that's what he was out. 120, yeah, that's what the guy paid. He's the second buyer. Where does he get his 120 from? And the owner goes, he goes to the first buyer, who's now the seller, and takes 20, because that was his profit. You make profit on a stolen object. And then the 100, he goes and gets. From the thief, if God if a person who, but if he's a well-known thief, Na'ehla may be asking me not to talk about he takes one hundred and twenty from the tradesman who bought from the thief, because he should know better. And then the guy goes, the tradesman, the purchaser goes, they and he demands a hundred from the thief, the principal. Who I mean, in the same deal goes, if it continues to go from buyer to buyer. The second guy sold to the third guy. And the third guy sold to the fourth guy. He gets the profit from each one. He's coming back to the thief and collecting the principal. All of the above is assuming the original owner did not give up hope. Beano, as we explain, you ten. What if there's a person who is not known to sell his utensils, he's not known that his stuff should be all over the place, He has and it's in his house. The rumor went out that this guy's stuff is all over the place. He must have been robbed. He recognized his utensils and his books in the hands of people throughout town. So, it vindicates the rumor. He was robbed. Or, this is stuff that was made to sell. But the utensils that were recognized were stuff that were borrowed and rented. So, it's not stuff that is sold. And obviously, this was sold, was sold. So there was a robbery. There was a thievery. Him, said, Caleb, said, Witnesses came and certainly identified these objects as the objects of this guy. He showed, was a, he could take an oath, change the other, he can keep the shepitz, a that he has them holding a holy object. And how much? He told me he can collect the money from the original owner, Yaso LeKela, and return his objects to him, go back to the thief to collect. You Also, But if the guy habitually did sell his utensils, his furniture stuff, it was not stuff that he only lent out if need be, or rented, but it was stuff that he regularly sold. So maybe he sold it. even though the rumor went out that he was robbed, that he was. His stuff was stolen, and his stuff was recognized. He doesn't get to take them back from the buyers. Why? Because he also sells stuff. Maybe instead of stolen, maybe they were sold to others. Because this is what this guy does, he sells stuff. But if certain people came and slept in his house, and he, the owner of the house, wakes up at night and starts screaming, my books were stolen, my furniture was stolen, my computer was stolen, my laptop, help. And people came. Nine one one was called and they responded umatzu machteres hatuda and they found a tunnel dug an underground tunnel over the other shalom b'seir b'seir and the people who slept in this house gates inutsreidah shokel ha'akisveiim they're walking out of the tunnel and they have bundles of stuff on their shoulders akel and everybody says halalu kelim u'svar shaplani these belong to this owner this story has credibility the shabbos eshikel the guy who is has the utensils should swear the kitas chepes while he holds a holy object kamah hoyti how much he spent. He Let him collect it from the owner, and let him give it back, and everybody will live happily ever after. Of course, it was established that these was stolen. Closing paragraph of this chapter. When a thief was established as a thief, and he became known as a thief, and this guy entered somebody else's house. They and witnesses say that they saw him departing this guy's house. And he had some stuff, some objects, tucked under his arms, under his wings, so to speak, under his garments. Even though the owner was there, And the guy says, what do you want? Of course. I took this from the guy who owns the house. The I just purchased them. I just bought them. and the owner says, "Liar! Kohen name they stolen." So this is a debate: bought or stolen? The guy did not usually sell stuff. and those articles in question are not generally carried hidden under one's garments. And that person who's holding it under his garments doesn't usually hold things under his garments, so he's hiding stuff. So the owner, the homeowner's trust is believed. However, Yeshua he should take a oath, holding a holy object, he can take his stuff back. And we believe that it was stolen rather than purchased. may them but if this alleged buyer was not established as a thief, then Then the homeowner is not believed because maybe he did buy it. Who are you to say that you didn't? I didn't buy it. Elanish should always hold your receipt. Elanish The guy who has these utensils in his hand should take shwas a Rabbinic oath shakelam that these utensils are purchased and he can be on his way. End of chapter five. Rambam Mishneh Torah Hilchayes the laws of Geneva theft Perik Shishi chapter six and these are very practical laws. Everybody likes a bargain. Why pay the retail price when you can get it for really cheap in the parking lot? Especially if the guy's wearing a raincoat. Aleph 1, anything which can be safely assumed to be stolen goods, also, it is forbidden to purchase. We're not allowed to buy stolen goods. Again, the intent of halacha here is to discourage theft. If you don't have customers, you're not going to have thieves. Vechen, and so also, Imrev, Eisei, Hadover, if the majority of a particular substance is stolen, by and large, this stuff is stolen. And we're not 100% sure if this is of the stolen or not. Maybe this is the minority. And like Kanais said, we should not buy it. We should better be safe than to transgress. Now, we learned earlier that shepherds who shepherd sheep and even cattle, they have a lot of temptation because they're always stealing. They're stealing land to pasture. They're pasturing the sheep on stolen land. And a couple of stolen sheep here and there, you know how it goes. It's a very open world. In fact, we learned earlier that we should not even pasture small animals like sheep and small goats in Israel because of the temptation of theft. The therefore, now we learn another halacha: like in we can't purchase from shepherds send their wool, because chances are the wool you're purchasing belongs to the boss of the shepherd, not from the shepherd. or milk, or baby goats, kid, because again, chances are that they're just taking stuff from their boss. Abel, however, we may purchase from them of milk, and cheese by midbar when they're in the desert, because what does their boss expect them to do with milk and cheese? This was before they had refrigerated trucks. So chances are they have an arrangement with their boss that they can sell milk and cheese. but not in a civilized place, where chances are they're selling the produce that belongs to their boss. Nevertheless, for mutar it is permissible, to purchase from shepherds, a larger quantity. Arba saying four sheep, I guess it means here, four sheep or more, a arba or four shearings shall semin a may cotton from a small flock, a or five or more, may from a larger flock. Why? Because when you buy so much, the word is going to get out that this shepherd is selling large quantities of sheep or of shearings we don't have to assume that this is stolen because it's too public and we assume that something as public as this is with permission Beys, the Rambam says, the bottom line, the principle of the matter is, Kol whatever a shepherd sells, you have to be suspicious. If the quantity is so large, or if the act is so blatant that the owner would be aware of it, in that case, if the owner knows, no problem. Then surely some arrangement has been made with the shepherd. You can purchase it from the shepherd. But if the owner will have no idea. As they say in Yiddish, ZG, zugornish Shashil. And that happens very often when people buy stolen goods. The seller whispers into the ear of the buyer, don't say anything. It's between us, huh? What happens in the alley stays in the alley. If the owner will know about it, it's, per- it's permissible to purchase it. Along the same lines, Gimel 3. When you have a watchman, a guard, a security guard, who's in charge of watching, guarding wood or produce, the guy's in charge of watching strawberries or kumquats, and you go and buy strawberries from him, no way is get coming from. He's stealing it. He's a watchman and he's stealing it. Why not? A little watch money. Unless, you know when you can buy, when they are sitting very openly and they are selling, the hasalim and they have baskets, and they have a scale, if in front of them if they are official looking then surely the word would get back to their boss so it must be with permission and they must have an arrangement because it's done too public it's not done in a back alley somewhere because it's open it's revealed the and the word travels it has a voice The we can safely assume this is not a theft if a guy is selling you the guy is not the owner obviously he's a watchman or a guard or an employer and he's selling you fruit or produce from the front of the garden on the main street no problem one should not purchase from the back of the garden any backdoor stuff is suspicious any seller who says, hide this, don't tell anybody. Also, it's forbidden to buy from them. It is permissible to purchase from a sharecropper. Because that's the definition of the word sharecropper. He gets a share. As he crops, he gets a share. As he harvests, he gets some. So, of course, you can buy from him. Commentaries say, provided the division has already been made, provided he's not in the middle of harvesting. Because then he just wants a little extra. But in general, he has a part in the producer or in the wood. Dalit now comes a situation where somebody is selling something from the house they live in, but they have no right to sell it. And one should not purchase from a woman who does not have a right to sell that which she's selling. She's living in the house with her husband or what have you, and it's not, as we would say today, a community property situation, or maybe it is a community property situation, she needs permission. So we should not purchase when a woman is selling something behind her husband's back. And it doesn't necessarily mean woman, it means anyone that doesn't have the full right to sell. I bought them more from a servant. I bought them more children. You know, what if children sell you their, their father's uh, watch? You know, it's a $1,000 watch, he gets 10 bucks. That's all he needed. The only thing you could buy is stuff you know belongs to them. And you assume it's with full knowledge of, who, of, who, of whomever really owns this. Where would be an example of it is permissible to purchase from a woman without asking her whether this belongs to her alone or to her husband? In the Galilee, there was a tremendous amount of flax and linen garments. Women would regularly sell flax and linen garments because there was an abundance. And that's what they did. That's perfectly okay because you know it's something that's not stolen. A in Basharon or in the Sharon, which is a part of Israel, a plain off the coast in the center of the country in the times of the Mishnah. There was flourishing capital trade there. There, if they sold, Cabs. That was a place where there was a lot of cabs, and women would be in the habit of doing that. However, whether it's flax or linen in the Galilee or cabs in Sharon, anyone who said hatman, hide it, shut. Also, man, It is forbidden to purchase from them. because just that expression of be quiet, don't say anything. This is confidential, right? That should be assumed to be stolen. However, we can purchase eggs, matanigel, my chickens, become walking from any place. We call them from any person because we're not going to assume that the eggs and the chickens are stolen. Even from a guard, even from a servant, since these items are not costly, our sages didn't suspect they would be stolen in the commentaries. However, if the seller said, hide it, put it on the coat. then also oh, it is forbidden. Hey, <laughs> We may purchase a large measure of olives or oil from the owner of an olive press. The owner of an olive press are not the owner of the olives. The owner of the olive press would take in olives to press. So we're concerned, as we should be, that they're stealing a little olives, a little stolen, a little extra on the side. The answer is we should be concerned, but we can buy a large quantity because they're not going to sell a large quantity of stolen goods because it simply won't match the invoices. But we should not buy a small quantity of olives, or a small quantity of olive oil. Because when it comes to a small quantity from the owner of the olive press, we can assume that stolen, or anything similar. There used to be a situation where when, we have it today as well. When you wash something, when you launder a new woolen garment, the wash process creates fluff. Now the question is, who does this material, this fluff, belong to? Does it belong to the owner of the material, or does it belong to the launderer? Mulch into the fluff. which the laundering process produces. It's generally accepted that he gets to keep that, even though they ate it up. And from this day we learn later they stuff pillows and they make a living from it. Visha seyikmeitsi or anything that a comber of wool pulls out. Haneilu shalbalabayis. That creates a larger quantity. That own that belongs to the owner. Hakaybis a launderer. Neitom he takes shleishachutin three strands vengshalay and they belong to him. But more than three, yosani came more than three shalbalabayis goes to the owner. If the additional strands were black against a white garment, which means they're not part of the integral part of this garment, the laundry can take all of them and shalayu keep them. Hachayot a tailor, seven a tailor, who left over from thread today in order to sew with a needle, which our commentaries say, the Rabeinu of the Mishnah says twice the length of the needle. That's how much thread was left. That's called today mishichas machat, enough to thread and use the needle. <laughs> and he left over from the garment. He gave a garment to a tailor. He gave material to a tailor to sew a garment, and he left over matlis cloth. Which is three finger breaths by three finger breaths, which we learned earlier in the laws of Shabbos and in the laws of impurity. That's large enough to be considered a piece of material that has prominence. Chayav l'azil l'bov. He's obligated to return it to the owners. It's an adorable story they tell. Let me just finish here. Pachas <laughs> we can, but less than three by three fingers. Shaloyit belongs to the tailor. He gets to keep the little volume, the small volume of extra material. It's an adorable story they tell. A man went and bought very expensive material. And He goes to the finest tailor in town. And he says, "Here, I want you to make a suit for me." He says, "I'm really sorry, you don't have enough material." He says, "What are you talking about?" He goes across the street to the competition and he says, "Here, I'm going to give you this beautiful material. if you make a suit for me?" He says, "Absolutely, no problem." He comes back a week later, picks up a suit. It's gorgeous. In the back of his eye, he sees the tailor's kid is wearing a suit that looks exactly like his, from the same material. He says, "Wow, where did you get that material for your kid?" He says, "Wow, well, there was some material left over. I knew you wouldn't mind if my little boy had a suit." He says, "With pleasure." Anyway, he walks across the street to the first guy. He says, "You thief! You embezzler! You louse! You told me there's not enough material. The guy across the street he sold this beautiful suit for me, and I also saw his kid walking around with a suit." What do you so, you know, tailors like to keep the extra material for their kids. So he says, only three fingers by three fingers. Shavings of wood that a carpenter creates in his process when he planes not the kind that flies. So who gets to keep the shavings? Shaloi belongs to him. Bechashel, but chips of wood created by a hatchet. Shalbalabayis belongs to the owner. Now, the Rambam says something muy importante, as we say here in Southern California. Very important. All of the above. Ukayets are similar. We follow Bohen in these issues. Achar, mina We follow the local custom. The prevailing custom of the area they live in. So local custom goes above these laws, because the Ramban gives the law, based upon the Mishnah, based upon the Gemara, based upon the local custom of that time. So if there's a specific local custom in Encino, California, where this is what we do with the shavings, or with the wood chips, or with the wool, what have you, then you follow that custom. Yes, kol Omen shemachar what if you are a craftsman, who sold objects that are not his, by the law of the land. The law of the land says they're not his, but he sold them, Okay, for example, Muchin the strands of fluff, shemachar nas sedik, Where? A comber sold him. The muck of Shinago Shiyusha Balabai is in a place where the tradition says it belongs to the owner, and here the comber sold it or sells it. Also, the men is forbidden to buy from him. But Nation, because we must assume it's stolen. Abba Ba, Lake if Karmali has a Pillow, stuffed. With this wool, that can be purchased because that's a large item. And that's not a secret. But if, he if he sold objects that the law of the land says are his, we can buy because the law of the land says they are his. This is the prevailing custom. However, and this is always the underlying law, and with this Rambam closes this chapter. If he says, hide it, don't tell anybody, put it on your occult. Also, oh, it is forbidden because we always have to assume that that item is stolen. End of chapter 6.